Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. It's 205 Thursday afternoon. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Do you like that word millennial? You know, I <laughs> I think the 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 gut reaction whenever we hear that term millennial, I almost think it it you know there's a, there's an implication of some sort of negative connotation. I think that seems to be the gut reaction, but for for many, it used to be for me. But as I've come to really get to know some millennials, uh, some, including many of our colleagues, they are smart and they they adapt. They seem to adapt quicker, and I really like. I got no problem with millennials. So, <laughs> and see, and it's just funny that we are having a discussion like that. Like, there's this dividing line between us and them. <laughs> Right? These are people we work with, people in our families, people we have relationships with, and there's this dividing line based on when your flipping birthday is. Well, and that's another thing. I was looking on on Wikipedia today to try to figure out exactly what a millennial is. Turns out I might be one, depending on whom you ask. So let's ask our guest, (laughs) Matt Kleinschmidt. He is a researcher with Maru Matchbox. Am I saying that correctly, by the way? Is it Maru or Maru? Uh, it's Maru Matchbox, yes. All right. Hi, guys. How you doing? Doing, doing good, all right, Matt. sir. And the reason why we have Matt with us today is Maru Matchbox has done some research that says millennials' willingness to pay for premium ingredients is helping to redefine the food industry. So, Matt, maybe that's where we start. How would you define a millennial? Yeah, great. It's a it's an interesting uh, interesting question. There's a it's not a strict definition per se, but uh, in general, uh, millennials are thought of as uh, folks who have been who were born between 1981 and, ni- and 1999. So people who like would be graduating high school into the new millennium, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this research that you've done here, uh, what first of all drove you to do it? Yeah, so you know it's it's quite interesting, guys. You were you were you were chatting a bit about millennials and sort of this um, this dividing line, so to speak. And and it's not so much like I would say uh, millennials themselves are are and and older folks are. There's a dividing line, but there are some definite you know attitudinal and behavioral changes um, that are unique to millennials that are driving quite a bit of change in uh, across a large number of different types of industries. Um, you know, our report focused on uh, the food and beverage space, um, but there's no question that, you know, not a day doesn't go by where you hear uh, folks talk about, you know, millennials in the workforce and uh, how they're impacting things like, you know, automotive buying behaviors and financial services and other sorts of things. So the inf- influence and impact of millennials, uh, this generation, um, is quite profound and it's um, it seems to be reaching a bit of a tipping point now as many millennials themselves are starting to have kids and starting to have uh, greater spending uh, spending power as well. This passion for premium, I'm sure there are some older people giggle about that. It's like, oh, yeah, well, it's easy to have a passion for premium when you're living in your parents' basement. That's Those are sort of the things that you deal with, right? Is that perception is that millennials are inherently non-self-sufficient. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, you know, sort of myths out there about millennials. And, and the reality is, is that millennials today are, are a very large part of the workforce. 
And uh, you know, I'm calling in today from uh, from Chicago, Illinois. So I'm uh, I'm an American, um, and down here, you know, it represents roughly 80 million folks who are millennials. That's a, that's the largest generation, you know, since the baby boomers, um, who are now having a very significant, you know, commercial impact on the economy. And and uh, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this study, which is uh, was really diving into. Uh, some of their perceptions and attitudes and behaviors as it relates to uh, foods and beverages and processed foods and big brands and smaller brands. And what was really driving that on the backside of uh, the study, the reason why we wanted to kind of dig into this is, you know, a lot of our clients, the large multinational food and beverage manufacturers, you know, they've been struggling in the last few years adapting to these uh, quickly evolving um, preferences uh, and changes in uh, consumer eating, eating behaviors. And by this, I mean, you know, a lot of younger folks, millennials, are looking for brands and products that are, you know, free from a lot of processed ingredients uh, or perhaps locally sourced, um, have, uh, you know, are organic in nature, and in general are brands that they believe represent sort of their values and are relevant and authentic to them in terms of how they bring products to market. And so this study really sought to, you know, kind of dig into those behaviors and quantify uh, what kind of impact they're having um, on the food and beverage marketplace. Matt, is the millennial generation uh, largely responsible, perhaps, then for, for example, the the boom over across North America, really, in craft beer? Yeah, that's a great uh, a great um, thing to bring into this, and certainly is. You know, in, in general, and I'm generalizing here, of course. There's a lot of nuances to millennial behaviors, and. Uh, you know, they're certainly not a monolithic kind of force. There are a lot of, uh, you know, variations within millennials. But, you know, in general, millennials are uh, fancying themselves towards products that are a bit more niche, a bit more personalized in nature. Um, what brands that they view and products that they view are authentic and relevant to their lifestyles. And so certainly that plays a role in craft beer. It's also playing a role in sort of the comeback of cocktail culture. Uh, with small batch cocktails. It's also fueling uh, a drive and a boom in um, smaller uh, consumer product or consumer food manufacturers who are developing more niche products that super serve the needs of these particular consumers. And frankly, they are able to grow um, in significant fashions. Um, And frankly, what we've, you know, the, the flip side of this is a lot of our a lot of the large CPG manufacturers have been a bit slow to adapt to some of these changes, and when they do adapt to the changes, the changes they make are viewed by millennials as not being as you know authentic as they could be, essentially. Matt Kleinschmidt joins us from Maru Matchbox. He's a researcher there. We're talking about this survey that shows not only are millennials uh, craving premium products, in particular in the food world, and that's where this survey focuses, but they're also prepared to put their money where their mouth is. And at a very high rate, 68%, Matt, saying that not only do they expect premium products, but they're willing to pay for them as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the the, the really unique and, and telling findings that came out of the, the research and the data set that we dug into here. You know, the way that we conduct research um, is a very fast, agile, technology-accelerated approach that allows us to engage with millennials in an ongoing, iterative fashion. And one of the findings that came out of some of these results is quite shocking, is that, you know, there is this assumption out there, and you alluded to it a few minutes ago, that 
you know, millennials are living in their parents' basement um, and not really spending money on products. And what we found is that, um, you know, millennials in large margin are, um, are, are more interested in products that are sort of, you know, GMO-free, locally sourced, uh, organic, uh, grass-fed uh, beef, ancient grains, cold press in terms of coffees and small batch types of products. And so they're really driving interest in those types of things, those types of features in food and beverage products. But um, the, one of the things that's really interesting, as you mentioned, is they are willing to pay more uh, quite significantly, um, both for organic and sustainably sourced ingredients, as well as other things like antibiotic-free and natural and grass-fed. And so there is a, um, this uh, notion out there that they're, they're cheap and not really spending. But in fact, when you look at it, they actually are driving most of the growth in the food and beverage space. The only challenge for large food manufacturers is that most of that growth is actually coming from small brands and small manufacturers who are indeed serving up products that, that, are, uh, that are delivering things like GMO-free and locally sourced. And so one of the big learnings here is that if large food and beverage manufacturers want to stay relevant and want to start to grow and be authentic with these, uh, this uh, very large uh, section of the marketplace, um, they really need to, um, you know, evolve and renovate their brands uh, to provide the types of ingredients and flavor profiles that deliver to the needs of millennials. And in fact, in doing so, they can also look at ways to extend into more premium positioning for these products. And millennials will uh, will go along with them and pay for those premium products if they're delivering on these types of benefits that they're looking for. Matt, how much does millennials' use of social media play into this? Yeah, it's 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 pretty big. It's pretty big. Um, in general, the barriers to entry for a, a small food and beverage manufacturer today are 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 um, much uh, much more uh, much smaller than they ever have been. So there's a lot of examples of organizations or or, or um, manufacturers who will create a product or two. And then they will spread the word entirely through social media, word of mouth, using a lot of Facebook advertising and other sorts of methods. And, um, and they've had great success in growing their brands and their products in that fashion. There, there's one in particular uh, that I would, would call out. Um, Annie's uh, is a company that was, uh, that was uh, independent, small, organic company that focused on a lot of organic foods. And uh, they really grew their following through social channels and word of mouth and uh, expanded sales quite rapidly to the point where um, they were starting to cut into sales of some of the big guys out there. And uh, they were purchased last, uh, last year, two years ago, by General Mills um, for a fairly significant sum. And General Mills has purchased Annie's as a way to gain a foothold into this expanding marketplace, but they're essentially letting Annie's run their own business, and they're providing back-end infrastructure, such as distribution, marketing, and innovation-related efforts um, to help fuel their growth, but they're essentially taking a hands-off approach to sort of the product development process. Matt, we've just got a minute or so left here to talk to you. Right here in Manitoba, right here in Winnipeg, a huge company that uh, plays into the space that you also suggested are is huge with millennials, and that's choice and convenience. And skip the dishes. They do delivery for restaurants that otherwise wouldn't have a delivery service. They were recently sold for $110 million, and so they've parlayed that desire for more variety, more choice, higher quality uh to have 
delivered to your office and to your home. Yeah, that's another fast-growing area of the marketplace. Um, and, and it's being driven, uh, again, uh, and I hate to keep coming back only to the, that millennials are the answer to all this because there certainly are other forces at play. But, um, you know, one of the big, uh, big areas of uh, interest for millennials is portability and accessibility of uh, their food choices. And those food choices, increasingly, uh, they're looking for more eclectic flavor profiles, oftentimes flavor profiles that are not available in prepackaged foods that are at the center of the grocery store. And so a lot of what they're doing is they're looking at restaurants as a replacement for traditional grocery shopping, and, and they want portability and accessibility, and that's driving a lot of uh, the upstart of these delivery services. Um, you know, Grubhub is a big uh, organization here in uh, in the Chicago area, and they've been expanding quite rapidly through the, exactly that model that you mentioned. Matt, fascinating stuff. We appreciate you connecting with us, and uh, please uh, send us more of these uh, delightful surveys. It gives us some real insight, not only for our listeners who are outside the millennial demographic, certainly for those inside, but also for business owners as well, so that they can keep an eye on the growing trends and, and figure out how to capitalize on those and stay relevant to their uh, growing, hopefully, customer base. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you taking the time. All right, Matt Kleinschmidt, thank you so much. Matt is a researcher with Maru Matchbox. We joined him today in Chicago. And again, we are talking about millennials' willingness to pay for premium ingredients, and that's helping to redefine the food industry. We're going to pause, have a look at your forecast. Up next, Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Quality over quantity. Yeah. I wonder if that's part of that conversation. That we just had with Matt. We didn't have time to ask him about that, but it just came to mind. He's Brett. I'm great. We were uh, talking with Matt Kleinschmidt, researcher with Maru Matchbox out of Chicago, and this idea that millennials, they would demand quality and they're willing to pay for it. It's uh, driving uh, the food market in particular, grocery stores. You mentioned craft beer, one of the first things that came to my mind. And <laughs> is that shocking? A, that is that telltale? Hmm. <laughs> and it's also changing the the way people are getting their food, and that's not only restaurant food, but how many people do you know now that are getting their groceries online? Either they shop online and then pick them up because a couple of the large retailers have a different sort of service. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a home delivery. One is a shop online, and then you go and pick it up. They put it in your trunk and I think it's three or four or five dollars. Yeah. Uh, my brother does that one. He says, it's the best three dollars you'll ever spend. <laughs> he says, you shop in your underwear, you put on your house coat and your jacket and you don't even have to change on Saturday. Just go in a special parking spot and they put it in your trunk and away you go. That's interesting. That's interesting. I still like to, to wander around the store. You but... like to squeeze the tomatoes, do you? Uh I'm not that fussy, but I do like to, it just helps to get out. But I, I certainly see the convenience in that and just the, the, the shopping trends that are changing, the, the changes that we're, that we're seeing that are being driven largely by millennials, I think is uh, really exciting. Uh, just uh, an anecdotal thing from my neighborhood. I'm walking down court and a few weeks back, I mean, this is a couple of months ago. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It was a couple, we'll say a couple of months. And I walked by a store, like there's a, a shop called Normandy, I believe, that is that was empty. The business that was there is now gone. And I saw a guy inside setting up the all these clothes that say the peg on them. I don't know if you've heard of these clothes, but it's called the peg authentic 
They've got a website, pegauthentic.com, and thepegauthentic.com, excuse me. Anyway, it's just a brand that celebrates Winnipeg, and it's just, it's like, if you, if you wear this, it's like you're wearing Winnipeg. And they're, they're, the stuff's not cheap, but the store was full. And I thought, oh, cool, That's uh, maybe they're, they're opening a shop here. Two days later, <laughs> everything's gone, and... The racks, almost, everything. Yeah, no almost, sign no, anything had happened. Except there was a logo that had been sort of painted onto the window, yeah. which I don't know if is still there. But it was just this very quick pop-up thing. And uh, I thought, well, that's neat. And I'm sorry I missed out on it because I wanted to check it out. But clearly I need to, to follow. And again, they, Mark, Matt was talking about how social media comes sure. into play. So it's, it's, all, it's a brave new world. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of the changes that they come up with. They so, being the millennials. They, them, <laughs> them over there. <laughs> the next time you're out for dinner and someone's taking picture of their food before they eat it yep. and sharing it with social media, that is a huge part of marketing now for restaurants. The idea that you're going to take a picture of your food before you eat it, put it on Instagram or, or Snapchat or Facebook, whatever the social media might be. They're trying to capitalize on that. It's a weird trend. I don't get it. But once again, I don't have to get it. I'm not the target market. 227 on 680 CJOB. We're going to continue our chat about millennials with Carolyn Kloss, and she wrote a wonderful blog post called The Potato Chips of Relationships, Social Media. And actually, she was also interviewed by our friends over at Global Television. So we'll play some of that report after Global News at 230 on 680 CJOB. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.